The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No my hide my picky my kaki my this has gone by lunchtime and we are back. Big apologies to um, the several people, five in fact, who uh, got in touch to complain about the lack of a gone by lunchtime. I'd like to particularly um, apologize to my mother and the other person who on Twitter um, was unhappy because they were missing their weekly sedative. I think that was the mm. the insomnia cure. Is that the Yeah, my insomnia vibe? misses your podcast. That's not a bad thing these days. Um Nowadays, you can pass that off as ASMR, uh, being bored to sleep by our podcasters' self-care. GBL mm. ASMR. Annabelle mm. Lee Matha, how are you? Kia ora, pai. I'm very well. E mihi ana ki te kaupapa o Mahuru Māori. Um, just enjoying Māori language month, September. Kia ora. Isn't it next week as well? It's like a week and a month. There's the week, which is the official Māori okay. language week, and then there's Mahuru Māori, which is a grassroots initiative that's where Māori just try to, well, where New Zealanders try to speak more Māori throughout the month. How do we September. say, can you help me with, how do I say shout out to the bad boys of Brexit? E mihiana ki ngā bad boys e or Brexit. E mihiana ki bad boys or Brexit. Tika. Ben Thomas, nice to see you. Nice to see you guys. I'm sorry too. The reason we couldn't do the podcast last week was because we were too busy modelling uh, for a new tea towel. Mm. <laughs> um, which uh, is available now on the members' merch site of the spin-off. Um, and it's got a, a crew of people, including Annabelle Lee Mather, who has some issues about her shoes. But otherwise... It's looking, looking, looking glorious. I've had several people contact me about my footwear. Um, how amazing would it be, though, as a face mask? That could be our next thing. It's a Toby Morris. The inimitable Toby Morris has done this tea towel. Um, and it's also got Ben Thomas on it with a collection of jars of... Is that cider, Ben? What is that? I assume it's Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. I think it's a callback. It's Ben's... Um, Special stash, which he will take with him next he goes into the Uruweta bush um, mm. so he can drink his own. Baby Yak is yes. there too. On the agenda Beloved today. Baby well, no, no, look, I, I don't think we've finished. Oh. Uh, we haven't apologised to our co-leaders in New Zealand podcasting. Duncan Grieve was left to do a monopod. 
another monopod mm. on the fold yes. because of our absence, our selfish absence. We need to apologise to uh, the members, the yes. spin-off yeah. members. Yep. Even though members. even though modelling for the tea towel fulfilled all of the official criteria of producing merch and making mm. us podcast millionaires, yeah. it ran up against the strong co-papa of this podcast, which is talking shit on the internet. Mm-hmm. And mm. we let we let people down. Mm. Um, I want to apologise to the publicly funded podcasts, Caucus, which have been groaning under a talent and hosting deficit for years <laughs> while we're off swanning around I the nation. Mm. I see what you're doing now. I want to... Apologise to the podcasting unions. Mm. Um, this we is broke a James ranks. Yeah. This is a James yeah, yeah, no. Are you considering resigning over it, though? I think that if we had to make this decision again, mm. we would do the same thing, but we would apologise twice as much mm. to reflect just what an egregious error it was. Mm. We, but you also want to apologise to Flick for their sponsorship of this podcast? I'm really sorry, Flick. We're going to give you back a... Several watts, many watts. Um, Twelve million dollars of wattage. We're just—we're doing this podcast in the dark (laughs) to try and repay some of the flick sponsorship. (laughs) That would be the uh, Ben is, of course, referring to James Shaw's uh, lengthy apology for the funding of the private green school under the Shovel Ready Infrastructure Fund. Which we'll get to in a bit. Um, we'll, we'll sort of we'll, we've got m- much more to say about that. But yes, yeah, so you kind of I like the idea of him slowly extinguishing all the lamps around the <laughs> legislative chamber and then removing all his clothes and eventually curling <laughs> up into a fetal position <laughs> and shrinking into a prune, just going. I apologise. <laughs> On the agenda today, uh, the campaign returns. Uh, campaign two Election 2020. We've got um, some close analysis of Winston Peters' cigarette smoking surreptitiously at Otago University. Uh, the aforementioned many apologies of James Shaw over the Green School. And even a bit of policy, possibly, to discuss. Oh, bonus, 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 listeners. Hang on at the end. I am going to speak briefly with Alice Sneddon who has made a pretty fabulous series called Bad News. You've seen that, haven't you? Oh, God, I'm obsessed with her. Are you? Yeah. Oh, well, you'll want to stick around too. I love too. her so, so, so Do you? Much. I yeah. should have got you to interview her. I mean, you I love her too. But I bet I love her more stab. than you. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the series, Ben? She's my favourite treaty partner. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about this. <clears throat> so-called election. The um, it kind of the the election campaign caught a bit of Rona, and it got sent to bed by its mum, Jacinda Ardern, for a few weeks, mm-hmm. and now it's kind of scraping its way back to life, bleary-eyed, uh, limping. Are we excited, Annabelle Lee Mather? Out of one thousand, how excited are you about the election recharge? It would be hard to be less excited really? than what I am, really? to be fair. People yeah. are going to turn off the podcast. Can you just lie? It's like in the oh, sorry. It's like uh, football so commentators like... commentating on really boring games going, well, something exciting looks like it's about to happen. Yeah. Say that. Yes. Um, um, like edge of my seat, mm. 
cannot yes. wait <laughs> it can only, to, it's see, gonna get to see what exciting. happens. Like so, so many zero, twists and turns. You're a zero out of a thousand, Ben. Mm. What was that thing that we used to say in the key government? Um, we're, poi- <laughs> we're poised, we're on the cusp, on the of, cusp something of something special. special. <laughs> <laughs> and no, nobody even knew what the special no, thing was. It was no. just sort of a vo- yeah. <laughs> danced around. Yeah. But it was, yeah. whatever it was, it was coming and it was special. Well, um, it was a brighter future too. That, <laughs> so we've got that to look forward to. Yeah, I wonder if he meant 2020. The election campaign now, it's been delayed by, how how many days was it? Delayed it by, was delayed by four weeks. Four weeks. So essentially 27 days later, um, which uh, I think reflects the kind oh. of zombified state <laughs> that mm-hmm. our politicians are currently in. Um, kind of, yeah, clambering around the country like the living dead. Um, everyone looks just exhausted. A lot um, of reanimated corpses out there. Um, weekend at Bernie's, yeah. Weekend at Bernie's. Jacinda Ardern has been um, basing herself in Morrinsville, which is such an <laughs> unlikely thing, right? You know, it's election time. The hub of campaigning, Morrinsville. Um, Winston Peters is down south. We'll get to that a bit later. Um, Judith Collins has been in Hawke's Bay starting the week, as we are like sort of six weeks to go. She announced kind of interesting policy yesterday. I don't know if you guys caught up with it um, about methamphetamine use, which was, you know, Dr. Shane was there being the good doctor a bit, and it was it was kind of health focused. You know, I mean, there's mm. a, there's there's still a bit of order and order stuff involved, but it was kind of, you know, uh, uh, less. Um, Punitive. Less punitive, less sort of draconian sounding than, than some policies evolved? Yeah, Judith Collins tends to be misunderstood because of that whole crusher persona that uh, first that she nurtured. really helped her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. It was very deliberate. Her brand is ruthlessness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But she's a, a bit more nuanced than that. She's actually probably one of the best policy heads in the National Party. Shane Moretti has always been very health-focused. Um, you know, you saw that with his uh, cannabis or uh, medicinal With the clues in the doctor, isn't but, it? Yeah. But, and the... and it, it's really mm. good how they've managed to, you know, it's very effective the way that National now have him referred to as Dr. Shane Moretti at all times, mm. e- even by media, um, which you don't, you didn't used to see, for instance, with Dr. Jonathan Coleman who was also a real doctor as opposed to he a doctor a of doctor. theology yeah. or whatever David Clark was. Yeah. Um, um, and so that's good. That's, you know, that's pretty effective branding for mm-hmm. old, old sensible head Shane Nadetti. Jacinda Ardern ventured out from Campaign Central Morrinsville, Annabelle, to Rotorua yesterday mm. to announce a kind of bit of a crowd-pleaser policy first up um, in Campaign 2.0, which is a new public holiday mm-hmm. in the form of a matariki holiday, uh, although, hang on a minute, not to be introduced until 2022. Is that a, is that a, is that a vote winner? Um, yes, I think it will be a vote winner. The irony is the people who seem to be most upset about it are the same people who complain about why Māori can't stand around singing Kumbaya on Waitangi Day. Why can't we have a day of happiness and celebration? Well, here it is, guys. It's here all for you. Um, it, the, obviously, there's been comparisons to John Key and the, the flag um, policy uh, the, the the flag referendum. Um, the good thing about this is that we'll actually get something at the end of it. 
What I find curious, though, is to say that it's a it's an idea whose time has come, but not for another two years. Mm. If its time has come, why aren't we bringing it in sooner? And um, you know, some of the arguments in support of it around supporting the tourism sector, which I think is a is a great cope upper. Um, they're going to have to wait two years until they see the benefits of it. So it does have that kind of bitter aftertaste of pie-in-the-sky policy that we know that Labor um, uh, often um, roll out where, you know, promises are made, but you, a, you don't get the, the the benefit of them until a long, long time A after. working group to dis, dis, decide mm. what how the date should be agreed, because that's going to be quite an interesting thing in itself as a subplot. Ben, the, um, Annabelle mentioned the, the, there was a lot of criticism and pretty much all the other parties, if I think I think I have if I have it right, certainly National, uh, New Zealand First, and the ACT Party um, dismissed it as as, as bad timing, uh, given the state of the of business and the recession. You don't introduce new public holidays and so on. La la land, said David Seymour. Um, interestingly, uh, as Audrey Young observed in the New Zealand Herald, that's probably music to Jacinda Ardern's ears because you kick off the campaign with a positive thing that, to be honest, most people are going to feel all right about and, the, you know, for businesses like, you know, way in the future, who cares? So is that kind of a win too, that criticism? Do you think anyone really goes, this is outrageous and going to hurt the economy? Small business owners, self-employed people won't see much from it and that's a group that, is particularly vulnerable to being brought over to the opposition um, because they're the ones who are you know, struggling the most uh, with COVID. At the same time, you know, yeah, most people will welcome a, a public holiday and that sort of long stretch between the June day off and the October day off, whatever the hell, whichever one is which, one's Queen's birthday, one's Labor Day, I don't know which is which, um, which is also a good pointer towards, I think, the Prime Minister's comments that, you know, this was a symbol of the partnership and to oh, Māori and our appreciation of it. I, I think that's a bit of a fudge, really. Uh, I, I, don't th- I don't necessarily think that making a public holiday of something is a way to get better buy-in or acknowledgement or understanding of it, um, as, as per Labor Day and Queen's birthday, which I can't quite place on the calendar in terms of the month that they're in. Um, yeah, look, it, it it it's a it's a it's a good move, but at the same time, you know, the I think probably the two or three best political columns I've read in the last um, week or so have been uh, Janae Tibshraney and Interest.co.nz, Thomas Coglin and stuff, um, and Damien Grant in the Sunday Star Times, who are talking about the the really big elephant in the room. I think Bernard Hickey's written about it as well, which is that while our politicians are on the campaign trail noodling about about public holidays. Um, another pretty good policy that Labour announced today was removing transaction or addressing transaction costs for contactless payments, which is a drag on the economy. But they're ignoring the massive, massive transfer of wealth that is happening as a result of essentially money printing by the Reserve Bank, which is inflating asset prices, destroying savings, and... You know, and and right now, just seeing you know, for instance, housing affordability go out the window for anybody who doesn't already own a home, exacerbating all of those problems that we know exist. 
see hugely inflated bubbles in the stock market, which is something that Bill English actually warned about at the beginning of this crisis and talked about, you know, there might be some sort of need to address redistribution if the owners of the owners of capital, to use some pretty old fashioned terminology, were not sort of seen to be paying their share of the economic uh, distress of COVID. Um, and, and that is essentially being ignored by all of the major parties, including Labour, who are you know, odds on to be the next government again. And, you know, we've we've heard that, you know, their income tax, po- their tax policy is, is forthcoming. Uh, most smart money is on that that will be, as we've talked about, a bit of tinkering around maybe creating a new top tax rate, um, taxing a bit more income. But that doesn't really do anything to address the, the inequality effects of what's happening right now in the, in the economy. Capital gains tax would have, but that obviously got kiboshed. But just going back to the matariki thing, um, I disagree, Ben. I do think that it's important in terms of the understanding of of um, being a, 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 um, a bicultural, multicultural country. There are no um, holidays that are born out of um, Māori um, beliefs or traditions currently. Um, you could argue that that um, Waitangi Day is. I would say it's not. It's a day that you know recognises no, the, 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 the treaty, yeah. um, obviously. Um, I would say that um, you know that this will resonate with Māori, and it's great that Māori will have something of 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 theirs recognised in the in the calendar. Symbolism is important. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have flags and all of that sort of stuff. But there needs to be more than symbolism. And I think uh, people will be looking for some more um, meaningful policy from Labour. For example, a commitment to rid the nation of um, rheumatic fever or whooping cough or some sort of resolution to what's happening at Ihu Matau. So... um, those are the sorts of policies that are important that we measure Labor's performance by. There was a there was a, a sort of a, a small but potentially quite symbolically powerful example um, in recent days where um, the Ministry of Health pilot on bowel screening, um, and there was a lobby. Uh, I, th- I think Rhys Jones um, was 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 leading it for the age of eligibility to be adjusted for Māori and Pacifica yeah. given the greater vulnerability and the life expectancy and that that has been kicked out and the it's something like that small but you know really really important and we've talked a lot about the health impacts um, you know there was a big 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 report out recently about the <coughs> disproportionate health impacts in a way those things are the as important as the the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. As far as the um, economic point you raise, Ben goes, which is a bit like, <clears throat> I mean, it's a bit like if I have this right, it's a bit like if you um, fill the economy with the body of the economy with um, Mountain Dew and Mountain Dew flavored um, Doritos, that you need to get it going through the bloodstream, right? Like you need to keep, you need the, you need the the money pumping through the bloodstream rather than lodging in houses or. Um, you know, gold bullion or whatever, and that's 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 the problem. That's what we're not necessarily seeing now is those injections, those Keynesian stimulus parts of the of the of of of, of the economic response going into the economy proper. So there's two parts to the um, 
monetary response. The first is keeping interest rates super low, and the idea is that that will encourage businesses to borrow and invest and you know grow their resilience um, as we come out of COVID, and then they'll start spending more money, which flows through society. The second thing is there is there is just more money being printed, and that's being spent by you know. That, 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 and, and that's available for the banks to lend, it's available for government to spend. To be fair, we need a lot more cash for people to be buying the tea towels, though. I mean, it's probably partly <laughs> well, that's motivated the, that's by that. That's how you get the economy going again, is you put it into podcast details, and that's how it circulates yeah. there, and, you know... Look, the $8 million from the Shovel Ready Projects Fund that went towards the tea towel set dressing is... An investment in New Zealand's future. Spinoff.co.nz slash members. The other part of that economic response that we talked about is, of course, the old tax. And we were a couple of days away from Labor releasing its tax policy. And I feel like that's kind of an important, it's kind of, it's kind of like signals a, a switch in um, the kind of moves into Act 2 of the election somehow because they clearly understand that this thing has been such an albatross and in, in, in campaigns gone past that they want to get it out there. They need to front foot it. They're going to release um, it like a feral possum where it gets like <laughs> bludgeoned to death. <laughs> <laughs> On its way to freedom. <laughs> um, yeah. And yes, and um, probably in the next couple of days. And uh, we talked about it a little bit last time around, but um, uh, I mean, it it won't necessarily address that kind of bigger problem that you raised, Ben, in terms of the um, way that the, the, the monetary circulation. But are we going to see a, is it time for a higher tax rate than 33 cents on the dollar? I think we've had this conversation before. Yeah, well, I think if we look at Australia, their their tax rate is higher, and but but it it kicks in. They're promising to bring it down, aren't they? But it kicks in later. So two hundred k or something. Mm. Sorry. I I I do think it's time that we have a um, you know some sort of reform there. But whether or not Labor will have the gonads to push through with it is the real test. We can't pay back all this money on the magical thinking of growth, right, Ben? I feel like the deja vu, I feel like we had this conversation already. Maybe if we plant the nation in crystals, uh, we will... <laughs> the billion crystals planting <laughs> project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move, on to, let's move on to planting crystals. That's what everyone really wants to hear about. That, again, is a reference to the Green School... Um, uh, we talked about James Shaw. Apologies. I, 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 um, he because he put eleven point seven million dollars from the shovel ready fund. It was like a three billion dollar fund, I think, something like that. That was kind of uh, produced in the immediate aftermath of COVID, and it was proof again that <clears throat> history may not repeat, but it does rhyme because we had the eleven point seven billion dollar fiscal hole last time, and now we've got the eleven point seven million dollar green school crystal hole. Crystal Hole. The Crystal yeah, Planting Hole. The Crystal Planting, the Green School, private school, and therefore uh, very much antithetical to the uh, ideas and indeed the vibe. principles and moreover the vibe of the Green Party. Um, and James Shaw just sort of did that self-flagellation as we talked about. My thought on that was that you remember one of the great moments in New Zealand audiovisual election campaigning was when David Seymour did that video where he just sort of popped up in a whole lot of random places between 
rhododendrons and <laughs> yeah. on street corners going, hi. It's very hi, charming. Hi. I want to see, no, I demand to see James Shaw <laughs> in a range of areas around New Zealand with Maui dolphins and, um, <laughs> and fields of oats just popping up and saying, sorry, 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 sorry. And I, f- I feel like that's what people need to see. I mean, it, I mean, we 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 um we we we're kind of laughing about it, Annabelle, but it was quite a it was quite a serial serious cock up on his part, right? It was, and every time I think of him now, all I can hear is that Tracy Chapman song, the the opening strains of that great Tracy Years Chapman song. Years gone by, songs. and still, yeah. Um, I think. I mean, it shows a couple of things, doesn't it? One is that sometimes in politics there are people who just appear to be in the wrong party. (laughs) And I think James Shaw is one of those guys. He should probably be rolling with Vernon Tava or in the National Party in much the same way that someone like Chester Burroughs should have probably been with Labour and arguably someone like Ron Mark as well. Yeah, and it seems that, you know, Shaw is quite a divisive figure within the Greens and there has been criticism that the the Labour, the Māori wing of the Greens has, has weakened under his um, leadership. I do think that, you know, not having a a Greens candidate in Te Tai Hauaudu, this election kind of adds insult to injury. If you look at kura like Te Piipiinga Kaka no Mai Irangia, Te Kura Kaupapa Māori, Te Kura Kaupapa Māori o Ngāti Ruanui, Te Kura Kaupapa Māori o Tamarongo, all of those kura, I'm sure, um, could have got great use out of that $12 million dollars and for it to be given to a private school, which completely goes against the vibe of the Greens, um, sends a really poor message to the people of that community, obviously. What, what yeah, I think the Greens membership are being big babies about this. <laughs> the, James Shaw has had a role as Associate Finance Minister in the Shovel Ready Project funding. The way that funding worked was $3 billion was put aside. They made a general call out with, you know, you had about 10 days or 14 days to get applications in. And they did this big sort of open casting call to all of New Zealand and received about 2,000 applications. And the criteria were essentially projects where you could get jobs on the ground immediately. That's where the shovel ready bit comes in that would create infrastructure uh, that had you know, supposedly these these other benefits like modernising the economy, creating a greener future, sustainable productivity. In reality, of course, the only people whose projects were really ready to go and consented and at that stage, apart from the Green School, were councils and NZTA, and they got the vast bulk of the funding. And, you know, the, the, the issue is that James Shaw was kind of boxed in by by what this fund was meant to do. Um, you know, I mean, I I think it's right that, you know, if if your goal was just to get, you know, semi-skilled or um, construction jobs out the door immediately, you could have just given a billion dollars to all the schools to get all their maintenance and repairs done, but they weren't invited to apply for the fund, um, and that was was a different budget. And so James Shaw got the... uh 
spreadsheet with all the applications and did an Apple F on yeah, for green. environment, conservation, climate and green and landed on that. I, th- I think that's probably right in the sense that, um, you know, I, I heard... Um, but that's not to excuse it, right? Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, there is... Uh, obviously, the Green Party is more public in its... Uh, analysis of its own shortcomings than than many other parties are. But he has at some point become untethered from the co-papa of the Green Party in doing that, right? I mean, he's accepted that. Sure. He's sorry about it, apparently. Sorry. Apparently. So incredibly sorry. At the same time, though, you know, that's for him to, you know, own up to in, in public and, and mm. you know, do his do his self-flagellation tour. But when you have other candidates essentially lambasting the leader as if, you know, and the membership talking about, you know, essentially wanting only the t- voting tranche of the sixth to ninth percent of their vote in Parliament, um, you know, that undermines their whole election campaign. The the thing that the public hates is disunity. Remember, the average Green voter is not actually um, somebody who is out protesting at Iomato. The average Green voter is a late 20s, early 30s, tertiary qualified Pākehā woman living in a reasonably rich suburb. The the Green Party doesn't get votes in the Māori electorates. It doesn't get votes in South Auckland. They used to, actually. It gets votes in it gets votes in Epsom, Wellington Central, Auckland Central, and so. In fact, I think in Te Taitonga they're the second highest ranking party for party vote. Was that when Matilda was running? Or? Possibly. Yeah. The 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 damage to the Green Party. I mean, I I I mean, I I, th- I think it's probably true that there aren't going to be a huge number of people who defect from support for the Green Party because where are they going? You know, um, there may be some. They would go to the Māori Party, that's true, but yeah. on, on the margins there may be some who go to Labour. But I think the, the problem they have is that it's kind of, they seem to have gone very quiet. And apart from, we should note, um, Marama Davidson's excellent tweet <laughs> in response to the National Party Working Group <laughs> meme page. Do you see that? It's very good. It actually, I think, it's, it's, um, it's in Mad Chapman's column this morning on the spinoff.co.nz. Um, it was, it was a bit of a bait and switch. It was, it was, you know, she it was, did, it was just very good. She did the whole, you know, uh, 1980s movie rapping granny thing. Like, can anybody tell me what WAP means? As if the person who was like reclaiming the C word two years ago doesn't know what WAP means. And um, uh, you'll have to look that up yourself, listeners. But anyway, it was it was kind of it was it, it was incredible that in one tweet you could remove all the damage done over, <laughs> over so many days by. James, sure, sorry, you don't need to say sorry for that, it's the very opposite of sorry. Um, anyway, um, the, 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 the only other thing I was going to say about that is that the kind, of, the kind of strange, contorted reality of what happened with that whole episode was that there had been pressure being piled on the Greens for being a bit too soft and for not doing what, say, Winston Peters and Shane Jones and the New Zealand First Party were seen to be doing all the time, which was throwing their weight around, holding other, other holding cabinet to ransom, blah, blah, blah. And it was almost as though it was the kind of this worst collision possible for James Shaw, because at last he was like going really hard and going, <laughs> no, I'm going to hold up this whole 
small project, fuck you all, this is really important. Look, I'm now doing what everyone told me to do and then mm. suddenly realising <laughs> he's picked the absolutely wrong subject to do it with. I know, he, fi- he finally got energised. His DNA was activated yeah. and he sprung into action. <laughs> but that, that's what I mean, right, is that this is an internal scandal. It's not an external scandal at all. The the I, the weird focus, I think, from the mainstream media on the process itself, of course the process was a bit of a joke, procedure-wise. They were giving out $3 billion in a matter of weeks. Nobody did due diligence on these projects. The shortlist was 800 projects. They would have... <laughs> but really, do we... But, you know... Of 800 projects, is that the best green project there was? It's bizarre. I it, don't understand why he put a stake in the ground over that particular project. It may well have been the one that was most shovel-ready. The thing is, I tend to think that this has created an unfortunate um, situation where people think that funding to non-government projects or non-council projects was the worst of this funding. Um, when in actual fact, I think that, you know, there were project applications put in by business, by iwi, by NGOs, all of which probably would have met, you know, the supposed targets of, you know, a more sustainable economy, modernising the economy, um, you know, a climate-friendly future. Hey, tweet us if you if you know of a project that was better than that one that was ready to roll and missed out <laughs> and was a good green, green project, tweet us. Tweet us up. Now, speaking of um, DNA surviving despite the odds, uh, <laughs> Winston Peters um, has uh, has been <laughs> has been uh, not released any policy that I've noticed in the last couple of days. However, he has been visible um, both in Dunedin, where he was playing table tennis and having a cheeky dart out the back of the, a building on campus in a non-smoking <laughs> zone, which is probably the most impactful thing he's done for some time. And before that, even, there was that interview on Sunday morning with Jack Tame, in which he called Jack Tame James 13 times and uh, refused to engage on a number of question lines. I want to ask you, Annabelle, because you are, according to my notes, a television current affairs producer. Mm, Occasionally. And I just want to, I mean, I mean like, I'm, I'm, cu- I'm genuinely curious. Um, Peters was saying repeatedly, look, this is not what the discussion was. Your producer has been, not you, you're not the producer on that, you're the producer on The Hui, which is um, on Sunday mornings on TV3, or as we now call it, the Discovery Channel. <laughs> um, uh, there will now be on The Hui, there will now be a range of lions, elephants, and mm. other flora and fauna. Mm. This, this but is, he's like a little tiger that eats her manu hitty every, <laughs> every weekend. This is good. You can, <laughs> what is, but he's going to now be in a like a tiger onesie. Is yeah, that like like a like a like on the Flintstones, like uh-huh. a little Betty okay. Rubble kind okay. of situation. Right. Okay. But d- Discovery I'm also has like for sure. those ancient aliens shows and things, oh. right? So mm. you could you can finally get those Celtic New Zealand guys on. Oh, yeah. talk, talking about the space age civilization that lived Dag- here in New Zealand Dag- before Maori. Tell yeah. at last the truth. At last the truth. And covering the real history of New Zealand. As I was saying, you're a producer on a television program, The Hui on Discovery Channel on Sunday mornings. And uh, you have discussions with 
um, politicians or politicians' minders mm. who are going to be on your television program and you say this is the broad range, this is the kind of mm. stuff we want to talk about. Is Winston Peters kind of right that he was kind of ambushed and that, the, that there was an attempt to hijack him and that they'd come, that, that, that Jack Tame put all these questions about the New Zealand First Foundation and the SFO, about whether or not there was any leaking on mm. the Green Party school and other areas that weren't in the kind of indicated mm. terms of engagement? Um, well, different tikanga apply to different interviews depending on the context. So I would say that, you know, if you're standing on the tiles in Parliament or you're trying to get politicians as they cross the bridge, yeah. obviously um, you don't need to send a, an email in advance with a, with a list of topics. That's part of the tikanga of Parliament and interviewing there. Um, same with at press conferences, although at press conferences there is an expectation that the, the questions asked will apply to whatever the co-papa of the press conference is. And, and that you acknowledge that um, Jacinda Ardern and Ashley Bloomfield are beatified and beyond criticism. All of that. Yep. And then with interviews and um, when you invite someone onto a show, I believe in the New Zealand context, a different, a different set of tikanga apply because that person is your manuhiri and essentially you're inviting them into your whare. So, so what tends to happen is, you know, you ask them on and, of course, their minder tries to squeeze absolutely as much information as possible out of you. Mm. I mean, they'd get full question lines if they could. Mm. Now, of course, no journalist is going to provide a question line um, to their talent, but... Um, it is the tikanga that you provide a list of topics that you wish to cover. And the reason for that is because you want your politicians to be able to answer meaningfully and um, and know what they're talking about and also because you don't want the mana of your interview to be undermined by them being able to say, I had no idea you were going to ask me this so I can't answer that question. So I think, given Jack didn't deny that um, that that was the situation, that that Winston's criticism is, I think, is probably justified. If you invite someone on to be interviewed about a tucky, you should know what they are so that you can um, get yourself briefed beforehand and provide the answers that the public wants to know. I actually think, you know, the interesting thing about that interview is that it was a little bit of a missed opportunity in terms of the, the New Zealanders who are, who are missing from the, um, from the livestock ship because there ended up only being one question about that and, you know, the next day we found out that apparently they've received very little support or information from, from MFAT, which is an awful, awful situation for those families to be in. What do you make of Ben? I mean, not, even if you accept all of that. As, um, as a minder. They're not questions I, that I he, would say that okay, it's yeah. a different situation here, which is, yeah, when you're putting a politician up for one of the, you know, one of the weekend morning shows, um, you do want to keep it on topic. And especially if it's related to uh, a policy issue, you would want, you know, you would demand that the topics, um, you know, be disclosed so that you can prepare for them. And you'd be totally well within your rights to not answer um, or say, look, I don't have that information if it's a topic that 
I, you weren't briefed on. And the only thing that would change that is if the politician opens the door to those other topics by referencing them in their answers, then you could go there. Yeah. The, the, on the other hand, if you know that there is uh, an incipient scandal or an issue that, that you know the public is more interested in and has gotten more media attention than the particular you know policy announcement that you released on Wednesday you do go into those things with your eyes wide open. You know, you, you accept that if you po- your politician goes on, that you will get at least a couple of questions about, you know, that other issue towards the end, you know, no matter how much you sort of cross your fingers and hope not to. And it's an election and, and campaign. And it's an election campaign. Right? That's, that was the other point that I was yeah, making. Yeah, but the strange thing about it, though, were the questions about whether or not New Zealand First was the leak of the, of the Greens Party scandal yeah. which which there were several um, questions about and that's kind of a curious one because for journalists to be trying to out the sources of other journalists kind of seems not in keeping with what we do given that leaks and sources are the stocks and trades of journalism. Now if it was a story that wasn't of in the public interest so you know arguably you could say you know Winston Peters and his pension leak might warrant that sort of scrutiny because obviously it was not in the public interest, arguably, to know what what happened with its pension. But this one, you could argue that it's in the public interest that people know what happened with James Shaw supporting that school. So to be going after someone to try and publicly out out this them as a source. It was definitely it's curious. A, it's a, it's a, it's a for, curious for sure, situation. But, but also, if, if, if New Zealand First were leaking against their ministerial government um, just say. colleagues, that would be it. That would be that would be. That'd be normal, wouldn't I it? Think. Well, I mean, maybe, but 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 it would still be it would still be warrant reporting during an election campaign. But it, it definitely that... felt like a tangent quite early on. I mean, the the, the my the, favourite the, leaks that you can never trace to anyone within government are the ones that say that New Zealand First has gotten a good policy win and then about two-thirds of the way down the story, there's always a paragraph which says, Chief of Staff John Johansson was instrumental in the deal being struck. And then the story just continues and you're like, I wonder where that came from. This is all This is all speculation on the part of Ben Thomas who has no evidence to support his assertions. Um, the, the, I mean, the, the, the other thing, notwithstanding all of that, is that just the, the, the kind of classic Winston Peters counter-attack, you know, I mean, like mm. kind of I'm, I'm Muldoonist, and I, it, just, it just is, that was Muldoon's style, the counterpunch, mm. was that he, he you know, yeah, TVNZ mm. is a disgrace, yeah, no wonder you're doing so badly, all this sort of stuff. Where, I, mean, I mean, I just, the, the, it's not that tricky to say, I don't know why you're asking me those questions. Mm. I'm not engaging on those points. We had an understanding that I'm here to speak with my this hat on or mm. this face mask on, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and, we... And, 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 and you can, you know, I mean, it's, it just sort of seemed... I agree. Like, and the it's whole, just like chucking, trying to trying to put out a fire with, with petrol, petrol, you know? I, I agree. And the whole thing of, like, purposely calling him James, it just came across as petulant. and purposeful? It, yeah. yeah. I think I so. I think it was an accident I, at the beginning. And, and then, then he, he continued. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it comes across as I think as, it works petulant. for him. I think James is good. I think he should... He could be James. Um, but it's too late. He's reached that stage of life where a lot of people 
have more access to their long-term memory than they do their short-term memory. And so when he's being asked about things that have happened recently, like, you know, getting his friends a free trip to Antarctica, whether he was interviewed by the serious fraud office, whether he leaked against his co- uh, his government partners, you know, a little hazy, a little hesitant, sort of stumbled over his words a bit. And then as soon as he's bringing out 70s sort of insults like Philadelphia lawyer, you know, he's in full flight, completely I didn't even fluid. know what that meant. I was like, what's the Philadelphia lawyer? <laughs> that's, one of his, that's one of his classics. That's what, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's there with sort of shiny bums and you know, <laughs> sunshine. If you stop telling lies about me, yeah. I'll stop telling yeah. the truth yeah. about yeah. you. All of these, just these rope phrases. to that, a gunfight. Yeah, that, he, yeah. That, he, that are just sort of real stimulus response kind of things. Mm. And it's a struggle, isn't it? And look, I mean, the, the, the bigger problem is that the, in this campaign, trying to get a foothold somewhere for New Zealand first, um, if it's the wear a handbrake on the government, then it's it still remains that the best option for them is that the next poll. By the way, can we have a poll, please? I mean, I know it's expensive, but and I love you guys. Thanks so much. But it's been five weeks. Something's got to be done. Radio New Zealand. Maybe you need to... You know, start putting some money into 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 polls. Anyway, um, well, you know, what are New Zealand first going to do? You, Ben Thomas, this morning in a column, broke one of the most uh, important cardinal rules of all political punditry, the greatest cliche in New Zealand <laughs> political campaign and commentary, in that you ruled New Zealand first out, and you never rule New Zealand first out. Yeah, I, th- I think they're gone, and that's because the smart. You know, we used to have this thing called iPredict, which was, mm, I don't know if right. anyone remembers that. Mm. That was mm-hmm. where, you could, where you could basically buy shares that was basically betting on political outcomes. You know, you could bet on the party vote or um, bet on who would be appointed to a ministerial position or bet on a policy announcement. And mostly it was a way for um, political staffers to insider trade and take money off blog readers. Um and people in the Kiwi Blogs comments section. Mm. But now, now that that's gone uh, and you can't pull the wisdom of crowds <laughs> slash the inside knowledge of people willing to compromise their <laughs> professional ethics to make $200, um, you've got to look for other signs. And I thought one of the most interesting announcements last week was Stuart Nash, the fishes, fisheries minister, mm. uh, announcing $60 million for cameras on fishing boats, which... Is something that New Zealand First have drawn had drawn a line in the sand, put their foot down, stalled and stymied for the last three years, completely probably unrelated to their close links with the fishing industry. Totally. And and no sooner had Parliament risen than Stuart Nash is like, we're rolling out cameras on boats, and that seems to be a big send off for New Zealand first, you know, basically sort of like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, Andrew Little, the Justice Minister, um, after failing to get agreement on legislation for commercial rent, um, uh, a process for sort of alleviating commercial rent pressures on tenants with New Zealand first, just went around them and, and just set up a $40 million fund by himself using the executive powers. And so I think that a lot of the you know, the people who are in the best position to know where the polls are heading are acting as if New Zealand First are already gone. Mm. Annabelle, what do you think? Uh, I think I've got to go to work. Are you, no, are you going to make a, do you think New Zealand First are going to survive? I, d- I don't. I don't, don't think they're going to survive, no. Um, 
Annabelle's got to go to work. So let's wind it up. Let's um, let's say a big a big thank you to Annabelle Lee Mather, a big thank you to Ben Thomas, an even bigger thank you to Tina Teller, who's over there making all this um, work. Thank you for your forbearance, as ever, Tina. Thank you, Flick. Thank you, members. Thank you, T-Tails. Thank you, the bad boys of Brexit. And thank you to Apologies coming up next, Alistair. Sorry to everyone. I'm going to wet the T-Towel and, like, whip my back with it. Ben's going to wet the T-Towel. It was all going so well. It was. That's not, that's not a gross phrase. Hello, welcome to a very special bonus bit of Gone By Lunchtime featuring the one and only Alice Sneddon. Hi, Alice. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, really well. It's nice to uh, see you. Thank you. The listeners you. can't see you, but I can on a Zoom call. Because where in the world are you today, Alice? Uh, I'm in Auckland, in central Auckland. Can you Amazing. believe it? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very exotic. But you are about to jet off to... Yeah, I'm off to the UK on Saturday. To Have London. you um, been reading the news lately? Do you... Yeah, I'm aware that it's... there's a global pandemic, but yeah. I'm just choosing with all of my might to um, pretend that that's not happening and just wear a mask Okay. Keep my I'm oh, sure that jumping from the frying pan into the molten hellscape that is <laughs> Boris Johnson's Britain. I know. Listen, it's not ideal timing, but uh, it's work, and you know, I don't know. There are a lot of people, a lot of people, angry with you after this bad news series. Jumping <laughs> yeah, the country a, seems I've like a quite a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got to get out of here. It's it's a fantastic series, series number two of Bad News with Alice Sneddon. I just watched um, a couple of days ago the euthanasia episode, which, oh, yeah. which is amazing. Um, and I, in a way, it made me think that debate hasn't really been traversed enough in this campaign, this strange, elongated, distracted campaign yet. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I think so. I think there are so many things about the euthanasia bill that make it a little bit strange in terms of where it sits politically. One is that it's a seemingly like liberal issue that's pushed by David Seymour, which I think mm. gives it a strange tinge in terms of it like um, having, I don't know, a swell of support behind it. And then the second thing I reckon is that it's an intersection of uh law and values and the values are around kind of uh, mm. death and mortality and those are discussions in general that I think we tend to avoid um, oftentimes mm. even when we're actually at the ends of our lives so I think it's pretty uncomfortable for most people to talk about but I grew up in an Irish Catholic family so so we were always talking about death as like an ever-present mm. <laughs> reality mm. um but no, I think the country lacks it a, a lot. Uh, they lack the kind of macro, like, legislative debate about, like, how much should the government be involved in people's lives, and then they lack the, like, person-to-person -person values debate about, like, who does your life belong to and how what does it mean to place value on that. One of the things that I loved about the episode is that you – could see you almost physically being kind of torn by the, you know, yeah. you have that wonderful setup around the kitchen table, but you really were wrestling with this incredibly complex moral question, right? Well, I think so. And I, th I think it's probably right to wrestle with it. I think anyone on it who thinks that maybe they have like a strong handle on it, 
uh, isn't giving way to like the complexity of the issue Mm. because it is dealing with like it's it's the one decision you can't really take back you know you can't reverse it and go oh actually I didn't mean it um so there is a lot to tackle and then it's my own personal worries about mortality and death and what that's actually going to look and feel like that means that thinking about that last moment is in itself just kind of unnerving but I will say this that even though I'm wrestling with it all in the episode I do feel very like resound in my decision to vote in favor Mm. of it Mm. Mm. like I don't think that that personal inner turmoil necessarily relates to how I feel the government should be regulating um whether or not that that's available Mm. if that makes sense absolutely it's not the kind of subject that one normally associates with belly clutching laughs, <laughs> euthanasia or death generally. But I mean it is funny still that episode and, and all uh-huh. of these subjects that you tackle, um, many of them all of them really serious subjects. It's yes. it's a it's a um, it's, I mean obviously you're a funny person, you can't get around that. But Thank there you. is also a challenge to presumably in making these things to try and work out how you fill it in the Funny bits. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, well, it's interesting that you said, like, I don't really think about how to make the show funny. Like, I think about um, what would be, like, interesting things to do around that topic and, and, like, what's a way to provoke whatever, like, the core of our argument is. Mm. But I don't ever go, what's a funny thing to do here? Because I think if I did, that would undermine, excuse me, that would... um, it's corona that would undermine <laughs> um the issue itself and i kind of just trust that like my approach and whoever i'm talking to that that in and of itself will be naturally funny mm. like mm. with in the health episode we didn't i just sat down and read out my medical history like i didn't and I just read it out for like an hour. Like yeah. I was, it wasn't like a matter of sitting down and going like, well, I hope this is crack up. <laughs> like <laughs> just, well, maybe this will be interesting. <clears throat> and you mm. kind of just have to trust that hopefully something comes from that. But, um, or even just like interesting, weird environments to do the interviews in or ha- right. how we do them. I'm it's not, not it's, it's not one-liners. No, I don't think it is one-liners, no. But I have a real appreciation for people who can pull that sort of stuff off. But very early on in the first season, I tried to do some stuff that was more character-y or, like, more set-up situation. Yeah. And yeah. I um, really struggled because it requires skills I don't have, like acting. And um, <laughs> I, I, I can't lie. I can't ever hide whatever my emotional reaction is to something. So we just learnt like we should play to those as strengths rather than weaknesses. One of the hazards of doing this show is to do it in an election year where everything is kind of changing yes. quite fast. Like, for example, one of the episodes is on prisoner voting. And yes. that must have been a headache in that the <laughs> law was changing... Before yeah. you, as you made it. 
Yeah, that was it was incredibly tricky from like an editorial standpoint about how to make the episode still be current because mm. we filmed things but on either side of the decision. But um, personally, obviously, I was happy to see a change and politically I was happy to see a change. But I wasn't surprised by the fact that it didn't go all the way that I thought it should. And all of the arguments in the episode, they st- they stayed true. I mean... In a way, I guess it's like cynical to say, but you could always rely on politicians to never quite do 100% of the right thing. (laughs) So like there's always going to be about 25% where whatever you're arguing is whatever their political capital is they're not willing to expend. So fortunately for the episode and unfortunately for the greater society as a whole, they didn't put through um, prisoner voting rights to its if full had, extent. If they had done, would you just claim that as a victory on your part? Is that Of course, absolutely. To, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a stuff article I wrote about it in 2016, so I'm sure <laughs> that was the thing <laughs> that <laughs> tipped the scale, no doubt. Um, it's a fantastic series. Where do people watch it, Ellis? Uh, you can watch it on the spin-off, and yes. um, you can also watch it on RNZ. Uh, but mostly like, on the spin-off, you can watch. I mean, <laughs> mostly on the spin-off. Mostly on the spin-off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, depending on, the, on who I'm to, talking to. to. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you very much. Good luck out there in um, thanks Boris Johnson's Britain. Um, yes, bring, us, bring us, bring us, back something nice that well, isn't like a coronavirus Corona? or anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I will. I hope to. Lovely thanks, to Toby. talk to you. Take you care. Too. Bye. See ya. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.